Well, good morning, everybody. Good to see all of you guys here. My name is Josh. I'm the preaching pastor, lead pastor here at Living Waters, and I'm very thankful to see all of you guys this morning. Thanks for joining with us in church and in worship. And we are in Matthew 14. So if you've got a copy of God's Word, go ahead and open up to Matthew 14. And we're going to be reading verses 22 through 33 this morning. And very thankful for each one of you that is here. And we're going to read verses 22 through 33. If you have a copy of the Word, go ahead and follow along with us. If you don't, should be on the screen. So you should read with us there. All right, starting in verse 22. Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And when evening came, he was there alone, but the boat By this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and they said, It is a ghost! And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart. It is, I do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. And when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And he began to sink and he cried out, Lord, save me. And Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God for the reading and for the hearing of his word. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this opportunity to worship you. Thank you for the singing that we've already gotten to do. Thank you for the fellowship, the connection with each other that has already happened in the hallways and the kids check-in and here in this room. Lord, we admit to you that we need you this morning. We need your word to talk to us. Jesus, thank you for the miracle of walking on the water. It's an amazing, amazing story. And God, we resonate with it. Deep within our hearts, we feel this. Lord, we're not riding in physical boats this morning, but Lord, we are in spiritual ones. There's a lot of storms in this world. There's a lot of storms in our lives. And oh, do we need to see Jesus walking toward us. And so Lord... We pray that you would help us to walk towards you by faith on the water. And God, just teach us what we need to be taught. Lord, may you be with every Christian in this house that knows you. May you build them up. May you move them towards real decisions that will really make a difference. And Lord, for some of you that are here, Lord, 
they need to, they need to for the first time, confess that truly you are the Son of God. And Jesus, you are the Son of God. Truly, you are the Son of God. Speak to us now, in Jesus' name, amen. So we are continuing our Easter series, and after this Sunday, only three weeks till Easter, amen? That's exciting. Three weeks away from Easter, and my sermon this morning is Water Walker, and this has just been a progressive look at Jesus' life and ministry. As you, have you've been tracking with us for the last couple months, we've been going through the best sermons of Jesus, some of the best miracles of his, and certainly this week is no exception. Now, the feeding of the 5,000 had just happened, okay? So we had 5,000 men. We, we talked last week about how there was maybe fifteen to 25,000 people in this crowd. Huge, massive feeding miracle that Jesus did. And flowing out of that miracle is a lot of sin and a lot of idolatry. A lot of sin and a lot of idolatry, a circus feel on that hillside, right? Where there's just a bunch of things happening. Jesus is going to become king. The crowd wants to make him king. So Jesus has to diffuse the situation because it's not his time to be king yet, but the crowd thinks it is. So have you ever wanted to make Jesus king before he was ready in your life, right? You ever wanted to exalt him before he was ready to work in your life? That's what was going on here. So Jesus begins to diffuse this crazy situation because he dismisses the crowds and then he takes his disciples and he puts them into a boat and literally pushes them out onto the Sea of Galilee. He literally forces them to get away from the situation because the disciples are much like you and me. They got all excited about a crowd. They got all pumped up. Look at all this stuff. Look at the popularity of our teacher. Look what's going to happen. And Jesus says, you can't handle this situation. You're going to get in a boat. Peter, James, John, get in the boat. Right? Push them out. Because Jesus knew back then what he knows still today. Human beings are naturally fleshly. Can I get a witness? Human beings are naturally fleshly. We are naturally sinful. We are naturally proud. We think we are God way too much. And only Jesus is God, so he had to correct the whole situation. And so he's dismissing the crowds and he's putting his disciples in a boat. He's in complete control and he is moving his disciples towards a moment. He's putting them in a boat and he's going to move towards the moment. And that's in verse 33. At the very end of this story, which many of you know very well, they are sitting in this boat. The wind is calm and they are looking at Jesus and they are saying, truly, you are the son of God. Truly, you're the son of God. Jesus knows that they need to get to that moment. So therefore, he's dismissing the crowds. He's pushing the disciples out into a boat for the purpose of the confession that he is the true son of God. Now, that's the big idea of the text. Verse 33. The big idea is that Jesus is moving his disciples to confess that he is the true son of God. 
Now, this is the only time in the Gospel of Matthew that the disciples use Son of God as their address to Jesus. It's the only time. And so the question that flows out of the big idea is this. What actions will Jesus take to get us to confess that he's the Son of God? All right? Let's just land the plane here in Des Moines, Iowa on a Sunday morning. Right? What actions is Jesus going to take in the text with the disciples and with us to get us to confess that Jesus truly is the Son of God? Well, I think we're going to see some actions that Jesus is going to take. And I want to just highlight a word before we get into the outline. A word that is really important in this text is immediately. So if you're taking notes, write down the word immediately. Immediately, you're going to find three times. One in verse 22, when Jesus immediately sends the disciples into the storm. That's the first time. The second time immediately happens is when Jesus speaks the truth to the disciples on the sea. When they're all scared, immediately he calls out to them when they think he's a ghost. And then immediately in verse 31, he reaches out and he grabs Peter by the hand. He pulls him up out of the water. Okay, so Jesus is taking action in this step, all of it leading to the moment where the disciples confess, you're truly the Son of God. So, action number one that Jesus takes in this text is this. Jesus sends, verse 22 to 24, Jesus sends. Immediately, he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, and he dismissed the crowds. Then in verse 23, you see he went up to a mountain by himself to pray. And then verse 24, the boat is a long way from land, beaten by the waves, and the wind was against them. Jesus sends. He forced his disciples to get into the boat. That is the sense of this word in the Greek. Jesus purposely sent his disciples into what he knew would be a very nasty storm. He saw the storm brewing and he sent them anyway. He actually pushed them into the boat and said, I'm going to send you into a storm. That's not very loving, is it? Yeah. Adrian Rogers, the great Southern preacher, said this, No doubt Jesus knew that a storm was brewing, and they would learn a great lesson that day. Jesus is an unusual teacher. Can I get an amen? He gives the test first and the lesson afterward. Christians, we want it the other way, amen? I want, I want the lesson first. Then the test. Jesus is like, no, I'm giving you the test first. The lesson will come later. So he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Jesus goes up on this mountain. He sends the disciples out. Storms brewing. He walks up onto a mountain nearby and he, Jesus goes up on this mountain. He sends the disciples out. Storms brewing. He walks up onto a mountain nearby and he looks down on the Sea of Galilee and he prays. Why does he pray? For a million reasons. Why do you pray? Right? He's praying for protection for his disciples. He's praying to probably just connect with the Father. He's probably praying to kind of 
you know, summarize everything that just happened with the crowd of 15 to 25,000. He's probably processing that. But ultimately, he is spending time with God the Father because that's what Jesus prioritizes. What a living rebuke for you and me in our prayer life. Amen? Jesus is prioritizing prayer. He's putting it right in the thick of his activity is a prayer time. And he is also praying as a prayer warrior for his disciples down below who no doubt are experiencing the storm in fresh and new ways. The deeper they get into the Sea of Galilee, the the deeper they understand we're not getting out of here. Somebody better be praying for us. And Jesus is up on the top of the mountain praying. Jesus prays for his disciples while they're in the middle of their storms. And you know Jesus still does that. Amen? Still does that now. He's still praying for his disciples as he sends them into storms. You and me sends us into storms and he's praying for us as we go. The Bible tells me so. Hebrews chapter 7 verse 25 says this. He is able to save to the uttermost. Those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to what? Make intercession for them. Jesus still prays for us in our storms. Anybody going through a storm? Yep. Jesus is praying for you if you know Christ. Wow. When's he praying for me? Right now. During church. He's praying for you right now. He's interceding for your your storm right now. As you're walking through it, as you feel alone, He's praying for you. Now, the boat was being beaten by the waves. You see that in verse 24? Beaten by the waves. The wind was against them. Things were not going well for the disciples. (laughs) Not going well. Not a good trip. They were cold. They were wet. They were tired. And they were dark. You ever been there? Cold, wet, tired, and it's dark outside. The boat was being beaten by the waves. This is a present tense verb with a passive voice, which means like the boat is the passive receiver of the waves, which means the boat is just getting pounded after wave, after wave, after wave, after wave, which means the disciples are not in control of their own boat. Probably an application there for your life, right? They are continually being tossed by these waves. The guys are out of control. And and here's the deal. You heard a sermon about six weeks ago from Andy, my friend, talking about storms. In Matthew chapter 8, there was a storm and the disciples, you know what they could do in that storm? They could go to the other side of the boat and there's Jesus. He's sleeping there. We just got to wake him up. You know, hey, hey, Jesus, wake up. Wake up. All right, he's there. Don't you care? We're going to die. What's the difference in this storm? Jesus ain't in the boat. He's miles away. They're three to four miles into the Sea of Galilee. They're right in the dead center. Jesus is not coming, or so they think. So all of a sudden, it's cold and wet and tired and dark, and there's, there's no one around. Jesus is not around to save the day. Jesus sends his disciples into storms. He is sending the storm into your life and mine. Why does he do that? Well, a couple of reasons. One, some storms come into our lives because of correction. We need some correction. <laughs> we're sinning. We're suffering. We're doing something stupid. 
We're saying something stupid. We're making bad decisions. And Jesus is looking at us and he's like, I got to correct you. All right. So this storm is coming to correct you and get you back on course. What's the other kind of storm? The storm when you're obedient. What about the storm where you are being faithful to Jesus? You're obeying him. You're trying to obey him. And what does he do? He sends you straight in. (laughs) That's not very nice. You're trying to obey him. You're trying to paddle to where he wants you to go. And that is a storm that is perfecting your faith, not correcting your faith. Jesus sends his disciples into the storm. It's an essential step you got to understand this morning. If you're going to get to that moment where you say, truly, you're the son of God. If you're going to get to that moment where you say, truly, Lord, you're the son of God, you have to understand Jesus sent the storms your way. Secondly, what else does Jesus do? He not only sends, he comes. Verses 25 to 27. His second action is that Jesus comes. Verse 25. In the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. And his disciples saw him walking on the sea and they were terrified. It's a ghost. It's a phantom. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, take heart. It is I. I, It is the I am. Don't be afraid. So first of all, it's the fourth watch of the night. If you don't keep track of Roman calendar in your daily activities, this is 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. Not my favorite time of the day. Amen? I got to wake up at 2.30 this morning from my wife. And I'm like, what's up? I'm, I'm an angry waker-upper. Anybody else angry? I get angry. I'm just automatically angry. If you wake me up at 3 in the morning, I'm angry. I don't even know what's going on, right? I'm angry. And she, she wakes me up. I'm automatically angry. She's like, our oldest, Marie, was at a sleepover. She's sick. I'm going to go get her. Yeah, too bad for her. She, I woke up. I, what's my, you know, I'm so selfish and angry at, at, at night. But not my favorite hour to be woken up. Fourth watch, 3 to 6 a.m., all right? Fighting painfully against the waves, which means these disciples, they are exhausted. Mark 6, 48 says these guys are exhausted. Their, their, their mental and physical resources are gone. They have nothing left. It, is, it has been a night and a morning full of physical exhaustion. Can you relate to being this physically tired? Sure you can. Um, I know I can. Uh, in 2012... Uh, there was a Boundary Waters men's trip that we, we used to do these wilderness trips every year at church. And so this is the year 2012. You can see the, the picture in the top left is the, the party that started, five guys. You can see the picture down below is the party that finished, four guys. <laughs> it was a pretty rough trip. Uh, no, the guy in the middle did not get eaten by a bear. No, he did not drown in a lake in the Boundary Waters. No, there is not a secret murderer in our group. That's not what happened. So I've called this trip, and and Jason Anderson and I gratefully call this trip the Kevin trip. This is the Kevin trip. So it's 2012. Kevin, the guy in the middle, he, um, he got sick. So what you do in a trip like this is you paddle and you hike, basically, 10 to 15 miles a day. In the middle of the wilderness, there is no communication. There is no touch with the outside world. When you go on a wilderness trip, I mean, you go for it. And you get alone with Jesus and with guys and you really grow in Christ, right? So we are, 
Uh, second day in, Kevin gets sick. We're about 30 miles away from our entry point. And we're waiting for him. It's bad he got sick, but, you know, we're trying to nurse him back to health. We, we, we let him sleep it off, try to sleep it off. We, we break camp late in the morning. And we, we're just like, we just got to get to our next place, man. We got to get to this campsite. It's about 15 miles away. No big deal. So we go and we start this trip. Um, as we're going down the path, Kevin has a cell phone. Kevin gets reception from a Canadian phone tower. Puts an emergency call through to his wife and says, hey, I'm really sick. I need to come home. He did this by himself apart from the group, okay? She says, oh my goodness, I'm coming up, sweetie. And he's like, that's great. They'll get me back to the launch point. I'm sure of it. And so he hangs up the phone, tells us this news, and we had a little come to Jesus group chat, you know what I mean? <laughs> a little come to Jesus group chat there. Like, bro, we're in the middle of nowhere. It is a miracle of God that you got reception. We need to have a come to Jesus talk. Are we, are we going 30 miles? Is that what we're doing? We, we talked, a lot of spirited. I, I didn't say spirit filled. I said spirited discussion. And we decided to take Kevin back. We portaged seven miles. We paddled 25 miles. We traveled 32 miles in the boundary waters. The sun said goodnight like it always does. And we were paddling much of our trip and hiking in the pitch black dark across these boundary waters, northern Minnesota, Canadian lakes. And I, I have never experienced anything like that in my life. I still have instant replays of the bug bites that came my way on the water. Just a blessing from God, just a blessing from Jesus. That's what those are. Ten years later, I still got them on my body. They're weird. Super weird. Those, 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 those bugs are like helicopters. They're so weird. We got them back. Um, praise the Lord. We did not eat that day until 12.30 a.m. the next day. And we set up our camp and we just literally fell into our tents at 1.30 a.m. One of the most exhausting days of my life. And I think I was so tired. I couldn't think, you know. Probably thought I saw Jesus a couple times on the lake. That you, Lord? Ghost? That gives you a sense of 3 to 6 a.m. We didn't even have a storm to deal with. That was the day before. But here comes Jesus. These guys are exhausted to the point of just no resources left. They got no fight left in them. They got no energy in them left. This is when Jesus comes walking on the sea, which is a thing that only God can do. According to Job 9, 8, God alone stretches out the heavens, tramples down the waves of the sea. The word tramples down in Job 9, 8 is the same verb used here in Matthew 14, 26 of Jesus and what he's doing. He's trampling down the waves. Only God tramples down the waves. Jesus is walking to them, trampling down on the waves. They're terrified and they say, it's a ghost. It's a phantom. The disciples were deeply disturbed, agitated, and troubled. And can you blame them? Amen? 
I don't blame those guys. I'd be doing the same thing. I'd be freaking out more probably. They thought Jesus was a ghost. Not the first time people have seen God in the Bible and freaked out with fear. Hello, Adam and Eve in the garden. Genesis 3.10. Scared to death to see God because they are ashamed of their nakedness. How about Moses in the burning bush in Exodus chapter 2? Scared of this fire. God's in the middle of the fire of this burning bush and he runs away from it. Isaiah scared like a dead man when he sees the vision of heaven's throne room in Isaiah 6. And then Jesus says, take heart, it is I, don't be afraid, I'm the great I am. You can almost feel Moses in Exodus 3 in this, in this passage on the, on the waves. Don't worry guys, the great I am is here. I am is here. Jesus talks to them and says, I'm here, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. And Jesus still comes. But when does Jesus come? He comes when his disciples literally have nothing left. When does Jesus come to you and me? When we have literally no resources left. And we're done fighting. And the waves keep coming. And we finally mentally give up and say, I can't, I can't do it anymore. That's when Jesus comes. And if I can just talk to you really quick, just within our church, about stuff going on inside of our church, drugs and alcohol addiction, when are you going to give it up? When you have no resources left. When are you going to give up this addiction? When are you going to give up this passionate desire to put stuff inside your body that's not good for it? When you realize you have no resources left. When you're so sick and tired of being sick and tired, you're just exhausted. You're done. That's when Jesus comes. What about your job, your career, your profession? When are you going to just get to the end of that story? When you're done, when you're just exhausted. What about your marriage? Oh, the marriages. When is your marriage finally going to get restored? When is it finally going to be what God wants it to be when you're so exhausted fighting one another and fighting God that you're finally like, okay, whatever. The waves will just keep coming. Some of you and your marriages right now, you fight and you argue and you complain and you just do it all over again and you got energy to burn for days and that's the reason that your marriage isn't getting restored. Because you're not at a place of surrender. And Jesus wants you to just get to the place where you're in the boat saying, it's all over, okay? It's done. I'm tired of my solutions. I'm ready to just surrender to whoever's coming on the sea. What about parenting? You got that horrendous child. <laughs> you got the rebellious child. You got the kid that won't listen to you. You got the... Parenting stresses of XYZ kid don't doing XYZ things and there's so many things going on. You can't keep track of your own schedule and you're just trying to wonder, when's this parenting thing going to finally work out? When's it going to make sense? When am I going to feel like I get a trophy for what I'm doing? No, Jesus doesn't show up in your parenting until you're like, I, I literally have no resources for this child. Besides Jesus. 
I, I literally cannot wrestle them down to the ground to do what I want. Because it's actually not my will that needs to be done in their life. It's Jesus' will. What about sexual addiction and perversion? Some of you looking at pornography, infidelity, sexual sin. You're wrecking your life. You continually are wrecking your, your life and those around you because you can't get past your sexual desires and you keep coming to this place of shame and guilt and frustration and you're like, what am I, when am I going to get over this when you are finally to the point where you see your resources can't save you? You're so sick of it that you have to see Jesus coming in the water and saying, okay, come take this from me. Not that there's any political storms in our world these days. But when are you guys going to stop being angry about politics and thinking that politicians can save your life or wreck your life? When are you going to be done from trying to think that the kingdom comes through man? The kingdom does not come through man. The kingdom comes through the King of kings and the Lord of lords. His name is Jesus. When are you going to give up all these political storms so that you can actually spend your time doing things that, that, that actually benefit the kingdom of Christ? I'm not saying politics is bad to get involved in. I'm saying politics is bad to consume your life. For some of you, it's consuming your worship. You can't worship because you're too concerned about everything that's going on in the world. You can't change it. Nobody's interviewing you to change it. And once you realize, I'm dead, I have no resources to change it, that's when Christ can come. And the, and the list goes on and on. Jesus will come to us. He will come. But he'll come to us when we're just finally at our last row. Can't do it anymore. Third action Jesus takes is he grows. He grows us by faith. Verses 28 through 33, Peter answered him, Lord, if it's you, command me to come on the water, come. So Peter gets out of the boat, he walks to Jesus, and he saw the wind and he was afraid and he began to sink and cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus reached out his hand, oh, you have little faith, why'd you doubt? So, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you. If it's you, tell me to come out. Peter's faith is awesome. Can I say that? Awesome. The fact that this guy has the presence of mind when he's exhausted from a storm, in the midst of the storm, the waves are continuing to crash down to seek the Lord and be willing to walk on that water is amazing. Um, Vance Havner said this. He said, if you wait until you are sure that you will never sink, you will never walk by faith. Amen? Some of you Christians, I just summarized your whole Christian life. If you wait until you are sure that you will never sink. I'm not walking until I know. Am I going to sink? Lord, am I going to sink? You will never walk by faith. Because walking by faith involves stepping out of the boat and being willing to step out of the boat. And Jesus says, come, take some steps. Come at me, bro. Come at me, Peter. And I think of the Matrix. I think of Lawrence Fishburne, you know, doing this. Those of you teens, it's a really old movie. Super old. But Jesus' invitation to Peter is to come and walk on the waves and grow in your faith. Come grow in your faith. And Peter came. 
Peter is the only human man to ever walk on water. Criticize him all you want. He walked on water. Critique him for his lack of faith. That's fine. He walked on water. Charles Spurgeon said this, anybody can walk on land, but faith is a water walker. And then when he saw the wind, he was afraid. He began to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. Once Peter's eyes went off of Jesus and started looking at his circumstances, he started sinking. So it is today. You get your eyes off Jesus, guess what's going to happen to you? You're going to start sinking. Help me, Lord. Help me. Um, And this is how Jesus works. Jesus immediately reaches out his hand and he grabs Peter. He didn't let Peter sink. He didn't make Peter sink. I mean, this is amazing grace by Jesus. He immediately reaches down. He doesn't look at Peter and say, yeah, you kind of doubted, bro. You know, have you learned your lesson? <laughs> yes, Lord. <laughs> I mean, like, that's us if we're Jesus. Like, you learned your lesson yet? Like, I mean, Jesus didn't sit there and say, Peter, I, I'd like you to think about your mistake of your lack of focus. Jesus immediately reaches out because he's a gracious Savior. And he says, hey, I I got you. I got you right now. And Peter cried out, Lord, save me, which is good prayer to pray when you're fallen. But they walked back to the boat together. Wow. What a walk that would have been. To walk back to the boat with Jesus on the water. A lot of people overlook that. That's an amazing thing. The result of Jesus showing up in the storm was this beautiful reality of growing faith. Go ahead, grow in faith. Watch what I can do when you keep your eyes on me. Jesus calls us to walk on the waves in the middle of the storm. He's committed to growing his disciples in faith in the storm. In the storm. In the storm. You grow in faith in the storm. You'll walk by faith in the storm. In the storm. So many of us lie to ourselves and we lie to other people and we lie to God by saying, well, when life calms down, then I will be a good Christian. When life calms down, then I'll read my Bible, Pastor. When life calms down, then I'll be at church. When life calms down, then I'll walk with Jesus. When life calms down, then I'll pray. When life calms down, then I'll be the Christian I've always wanted to be. No, you won't. The growth happens in the storm. We tell ourselves lies all the time. And others and God, we tell this all the time. Well, I'm waiting for this crazy season to pass by. It's just crazy season. You don't understand. Crazy. It's crazy. I can't do that. Once this crazy season passes by, then I will, again, fill in the blank. Then I'll get baptized. Then I'll, then I'll do Bible study. Then I'll get involved. Then I'll do this stuff. Then I'll walk with Jesus. Then I'll witness to my unsaved neighbors. Then I'll do this stuff. No, you won't. You know why? Because the crazy season never ends. The storms of life will not stop. And Jesus has a purpose in the storm. Walk by faith. I'll make you walk on water. Yeah, in the storm. When you feel like you're inadequate, 
do it. When you feel like you don't have the resources, walk with Jesus. When you feel like it's the worst time and the most inconvenient moment ever, ever, walk towards him. You'll walk on water. And you'll be like, how in the world did that happen? Because your eyes were on Jesus. He has a purpose in the midst of our lives. And if I could just dis evolution really quick, I will. This life is not a purposeless conglomeration of inconsequential events randomly placed by evolutionary process. No, 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 no. This is a divine, sovereignly planned reality called your life. And Jesus has plans in the midst of your storms, divinely designed by his good hand to walk through. And every storm has a purpose. Jesus gets on the boat and then all of a sudden the finish of this sermon, right? They look at him and they're like, you're the son of God. Truly the son of God. Of God. You are God. Jesus sends and he comes and then he grows so that we will sit before him and say, You're the Son of God. You're the Son of God. So we get to go to communion this morning. And I want to just tell you if you're growing in Christ, the goal of walking by faith is not perfection, it's growth. Okay? Nobody is doing this perfectly. No Christian, no pastor, no theologian, no member of this church is doing it perfectly. You're going to do it great at times. You're walking with Jesus and then the next minute you're sinking. And it's okay. It is okay because that's what communion is all about. Communion is coming to before Jesus and saying, you're the son of God. I'm a mess. I'm in progress. Have mercy on me. So we're going to go to communion and you get to remember, if you're a believer, the juice and the bread reflect the body and blood of Christ. So you're going to have time to reflect and meditate and get right with God, confess sin, pray. But ultimately, hopefully everybody in this house, when they go get their stuff for communion, can say from their heart, Jesus, you're the son of God. So I'm going to pray. And all believers are welcome to join in communion whenever you're ready to go get the elements. They're on the back tables. If you know Christ as your Savior, this is an open invitation for you to go get the elements. If you don't know Jesus yet, you're not saved, questioning whether you're saved or not, don't worry about communion. Just hang out with us. Invite Christ into your heart. Get saved even this morning. That'd be a good thing. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you for the reality and the truth that you are the Son of God. Lord, you send us into storms. You come to us in those storms. And you grow our faith. Lord, not one person here is doing it perfectly. A lot of people with big victories and a lot of us have big defeats too. But Lord, this is our story. We're bringing it before you. You're the Son of God. Help us to celebrate communion in a way that glorifies you. May our heart motivation be pleasing to you. In Jesus' name, amen.